this is The Clues Chronicle. It's August 28th, 2016, and this is issue 11. Our focus today is AIDS, what questions are around it, and maybe we'll go into some other topics as well. We also have a special guest, Rochello, who is a researcher. We'll do the typical interview with her and then hopefully go on to just have a kind of freeform chat about the topic at Clues Forum. That's right. We have a special guest. Hello, Rochello. Welcome to the show. Yeah, am I supposed to say something? Yeah, because uh, it's a show. Yeah. I'm a radio host. You see, you got to say, okay. hey, welcome to be here. Well, hello. hello. Hi. And now, uh, hi. How you doing? Well, I'm excited to rant and read. Rochelle, didn't you start a podcast called TalkBox? I opened a talk to podcast. It's called TalkBox, and I have a pretty cool co her name's Kay. I don't know if you guys know anything about her. I mean, we're kind of on the same trajectory as Clues Forum, I guess, every month or so, plus a couple months. Wow, how, how come I haven't heard of this until just now? You should... Um... Because of our because of our wonderful uh, because of our wonderful marketing team. Well, I was gonna say like you should use Clues Forum to <laughs> as long as you're is failing. Uh, I gotta talk to the manager about that. But uh, <laughs> you know, with the flatter thing going on and stuff like that, I think that for me and I, if I may speak for Kay, I think that it was time to kind of try and just speak about our own topics and it's just kind of just our own little corners it's not like anything divisive or anything i think it's just more of something that like i said we could hope could be more consistent just so that we can just talk about you know whatever we want to talk about under our own umbrella how did you pick your name rochella with a three in there I don't know. I saw backwards E before. <laughs> I was like, shit, I can do that. And I, it's like my middle name. So, oh, yeah, Rochelle. So I just threw a backwards E in there. Oh, kind of like Kham is derived from Kham's real name. So it's kind of like that. Yeah. Okay. And I'm also a uh, superhero at night. So. Well, that I definitely believe, but we would not be able to talk about outfit. that. <laughs> so. <clears throat> so changing the subject to protect your real identity. Thank you. Um, what exactly got you into this research, shall we say, or, or conversations, this type of conversation? I mean, besides, um, uh, like, finding the website, you know, is there something yeah. in your youth that you remember that was like, hey, wait a minute, I'm questioning authority? and like, Yeah, I'd say the reason that I'm in this specific rabbit hole, yeah. The thing that made me, that I can remember specifically, the incident that made me start, like, really questioning, like, everything like history and stuff, and it sounds kind of dumb, but I was like a freshman at the community college. I was in a history class. The history teacher told us that Christopher Columbus did not discover America. And I mean, I, I couldn't believe it because I'd never, I guess I'd never heard that before, you know? And so that, I mean, it was like, and Christopher Columbus did not discover America. And, and you know, then the class continued on. And I'm just like, wait, what? Like, wait a minute. Like, wait a minute, because... You can go into any history book, and that is what it says. So, I mean, who's telling the truth here? And, you know, so until that point, I think that I was always kind of like, okay, it's a history book, it's history, and, you know, there's no, you really have no reason to question it, you know. But once the blatancy of it and how, you know, just mundane he said it and just brushed over it, it was like, well, how can you make that statement and then not question everything from there, you know? So I just started, I just started wondering about everything, basically, because, like, how... 
I would have put my life on on that fact, alleged fact that I had grown up being taught. Yeah, there's so much in the history books that even we're kind of like there's common knowledge that's like, oh, well, this is the story we're telling ourselves about this, even though we know it's not true. But then why do we tell ourselves that story if we know it's not true? Why? And why do we keep promoting it? Yeah, you teach kids that their whole lives, and then now you just say this, and there's probably tons of things that aren't necessarily the way that they say they are, you know, because it either is or it isn't. So it's not really, you know, it's not really a hard thing to write down. I didn't really begin to look into anything until um, I heard a particular song at one point, and that took me down the whole Alex Jones rabbit hole. I can think of a lot of incidents and reasons why, even before then, you know, watching the news and stuff like that, I was taught that Fox News was this way, and and uh, CNN was this way, and they're kind of opposed to each other, you know? And mm. I'm like 16, 17. At that time, um, the news channels, they were like back-to-back kind of, and I'd flip through them, and I'd sit and watch one news channel on Fox, I'd flip to CNN, and they'd be talking about the exact same stories <laughs> at the exact same time in the exact same words, and I'd flip back and forth, and I was just like, well, they're... I don't know if, you, I don't know if this is possible, but we try to ask people sometimes, you know, is there something inherent to you that you were just born with that you think maybe would lead you to these things? Have you noticed that you're different from other people in that way or what? Yeah, I got a bad attitude. I guess I'm a little gruff, I'm a little frank. I just don't have the ability to consider to a great degree what people I don't want to say think or anything because you do, you know, I, I guess I just I'm kind of on my own path, you know, and I always have been. It sounds like you're, it sounds like, and I don't mean to put any sort of cultural label on you at all, but you sound kind of like punk in that way. I just think what I think and, you know, kind of fuck everyone else, but not, but not, not in a hardcore way, but just. Well, I have like tons of piercings and tons of, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, are are there any black punks? Probably. I'm not a punk. I just got a bad attitude. And I think that that. That's. I'm not very moved by the social crowd. I guess you could say as easily. I would say as as uh, of the majority of people, maybe eighty percent of the population. So we all have just being able to stand our own two feet. We can stand apart from the crowd, mm-hmm. you know, in the open alone, and have no problem with it. I mean, or be able to deal with it. You know. Yeah, and or I, even or even enjoy it in some way, kind of like or enjoy it, right? Take it as some kind of relief dance, but be able to deal with it regardless, you know, ways that probably other people couldn't. And so I think that that's there's, and I have no, numerous amounts of incidents that I could talk about in my childhood where it's like, yeah, I guess I'm always the person who is just gonna like say how it is, <laughs> and you know, people are just not gonna say how it is. Good. Yeah, there's some extraordinary things actually. Um, Rochelle met a doctor who was part of um, the Boston bombing had had talked to an injured person and we talk about that you know somebody who was at the bombing I thought that was a fake event no he wasn't at the bombing he was a eye doctor who worked on my eye and he says that he worked on one of the victims he worked on the eye bombing victims in Boston he said he did surgery on them that's what he, that's what he told us so in, okay, interesting. Sounds like that guy should be put under. Um, um, I know, I know. <laughs> so that's what we were contemplating yeah. was what this like his actual role. Do you think that, Rochelle that, he could be outright wrong, just lying? Of course he is. I, I don't even understand why that. Of course he's outright lying. There's no. I mean, I could make up the same story. I literally could. I could come up with a great background. I could do the exact same thing that he did. It changed my name, come up with a background. I mean, of course, it's not, it's really, it's so basic. I mean, 
I don't believe a word that he says. But so. what if I want details and I say, I hey, can what's that? I, I would give details. I would come up with every detail. That's how I'd make my background. I would come up with every detail nice. that anybody could think of. Yep, I think that's how it works. And I think when they don't have details or they like kind of felter for them, they just say, uh, I'm getting kind of torn up talking about it. Can we change the subject? And they just they put up that wall of like emotion, which is so useful. I just don't believe anything those people say. How do you decide if it's a those people or if it's a someone worth say. talking to and figuring out if they've been duped? It's really I, I I really couldn't put it down to anything more than just I mean it's just instinct for me. I guess I would say I think that I just. I'm so sensitive to people's feelings and like the, I would like to think, I get a sense of people and like the feeling in a room and I think that I can catch a liar. Like, I feel like I just kind of have the ability to spot a liar, dude. Like, like, I, like you spot bad actors. I mean, it's really, cause I guess some people don't really, you know what I mean? That's awesome. Yeah. I think I have a little bit of that too, because I couldn't explain it in words sometimes when I see someone that I just don't trust or hear someone that I just don't trust. Yeah. yeah. Which leads me to this question, and I hope I, you don't mind me going into like my hoi polloi land, but I was just wondering if you think that if that is related to empathy, or, or if it's distinguished yeah. enough from empathy that it could be considered a different skill or instinct or something. I feel like there is some connection, but... Well, I think so, because in order to empathize with others, you have to kind of sense and understand what they're feeling, and I think I think that that's kind of, you know, sometimes I get sad seeing a bum on the side of the road and stuff like that, and you know what I mean? Like, I empathize with them, and I think that, yeah, it's a part of that, but it, you have to be able to control that or else it's, you're easily manipulated, and I think that we yeah. all have a part of that, but I think that um, that's why you gotta have got to have this wall, too, and this discernment to be able to kind of allow that part of you to, to exist only in uh, only only in good situations. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So we're good <laughs> about the web, okay. about the talk show. So yeah, let's get to it. The topic on Clues Forum is called The Invention of AIDS, and it was started by Nono Capito um, on October 12, 2012. He basically starts by saying, this topic is very overdue, it's just his opinions and his hunches, but he still believes that it's important to at least talk about and that it's relevant to us because of the reasons that he gives. And so he kind of says, here's why we should question this. And it kind of has to do with, you know, it makes us scared of sex. It makes us scared to like be near each other or to care for each other. It's kind of on that empathy topic, too. Like, oh, someone is bleeding. Maybe they have AIDS, you know, back away, kind of, instead of, like, running to their aid. And and even has that, that name, aid, in it. You know, aiding someone, helping someone. It's it's It seems very psychological. So he's arguing that the reason we should bring it up and talk about it is because it is kind of this traumatizing thing that's a, a background noise in our lives now since, you know, it was introduced and, and promoted in the media. So what you're kind of expressing to me sounds like kind of part of the strategy of tension. Of attention or strategy? Yeah, strategy of tension. Making people tension. afraid. Mm. Strategy of tension. Is that something that you, you invented or is that something you read about? Oh, yeah, it's something I read about. It's like the the way the network works in order to 
make sure everyone is constantly on edge and they can't mm. they can't solve their own psychological problems because they're always in fright. It's the the reason for the psyops in the first place is to start that strategy attention. So everyone's always fearful. They say that it oppresses uh, gay people, black people. Um, well, pretty much those two. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um, alternative lifestyles are dangerous, you know, to things that aren't mainstream are dangerous. It seems like it's a, um, it, it, I don't know, you put it okay again, but um, it is like a cover-up for something else, basically, but, um, especially in Africa, I guess, kind of like, like they create a problem on top of a problem so that you're forever solving a problem that pretty much doesn't exist that can morph and so in doing that you completely are oblivious to the real problem which means it'll never get solved and so as far as uh like the africa or africa and their aids epidemic or problem or whatever i mean the real problem would be malnutrition and poor sanitation and stuff like that all the things that come out of those situations if you could label that as some disease then you know you, you never have to treat the very easily fixed issue of malnutrition and poor sanitation and uh, poverty that's a good that's a great point plus it also makes people think oh well the pharmaceutical company will come and save us isn't that wonderful that that's always the outcome of that these pharmaceutical companies make millions and billions of dollars on a campaign that on every end it's almost like aids and all these viruses are almost like uh terrorism in the fact that you don't see it you can't you know you'll never we'll never find (laughs) money into it but make no progress so it's just like the same concept I think for different reasons so I mean if we could analyze both of those things we probably would come up with some pretty amazing things don't numbers mean anything Hoy nothing at all well no I agree I agree numbers do play a part I'm not sure if they bother to like encode Abraham Lincoln's name into a set of numbers and like use that. But I think that maybe people who are obsessed with it will consider it their own magic, probably because whether they do so or not actually doesn't make a lick of difference. So they can certainly believe that it's giving them lots of power. But yeah, I mean, there's definitely the case where certain strange things show up like this. Like what? Well, it says, according to this sample of, let's see, how many articles did he find? One, two, three. According to these 16 articles, he found Nigeria, 11,000 HIV AIDS patients a week, 11,000 people affected by HIV AIDS in Romania, 11,000 civil servants living with HIV AIDS in Kogi, India, Congo, 11,000 deaths reported, Caribbean, 11,000 infected persons, Mexico, 11,000 people died of AIDS, Botswana, United Nations data reveals 11,000 people were killed by AIDS. Burundi, 11,000 people died from AIDS. USA, about 11,000 people died of AIDS in this year. Uh, WSD... So you take the same story and pass it around. Yeah, it's almost like the the story itself is a virus. A mental virus. <laughs> the story is a virus. 11,000. Was this... Are these all different articles that's crazy yes all from different like places you- doctors without borders um dailytrust.com romanian daily.com there's they all seem to be different vendors of this information so the whole point is we haven't of course plugged in the zachary numbers but there seems to be i don't think he actually does does statistics and i think he should if he's into numbers uh, because this seems like a statistical anomaly it seems like 
There shouldn't be so many freaking stories just about 11,000 people. There's something funny about that. 11,000 people getting AIDS. 11,000 people getting AIDS. 11,000 people dying of AIDS. 11,000 people hanging around with AIDS. Infected Um, with AIDS. (laughs) Yeah. Killed by AIDS. And then we made a joke later in the thread that's like, well, maybe the strange thing about AIDS is that it only affects 11,000 people at a time. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) 11,000, but how much at a time? Like a day or <laughs> an article? About 11 days and 11 hours. No, okay, I'm just joking. It's all over the place. It's a daily 11,000 people are infected with AIDS, and then another one is died in 2007 from AIDS, totally 11,000. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's funny that Nigeria says 11,000 AIDS patients a week, whereas perhaps what we consider a first world country. Uh, the USA, it says 11,000 people died of AIDS in 2007 as a whole. So I'm not sure if there's some, some programming going on there, too. Like, and then Nigeria is so much more horrible. You know? But sub-Saharan Africa, 11,000 a day are dying of AIDS. They're really bad, I guess, right? They really must wow, be sucky yeah. there. Well, how can it be so evenly spread is the thing. That's just completely ridiculous. You can't be 11,000 people everywhere. The next part is, tell me what you see when you scroll down to all the pictures of the HIV virus. They got a theme, though. There's like 27 pictures of completely different ideas of what this thing is supposed you know, to look, these look like. like. These looks like these look like some badass background like pictures, like screensavers for, <laughs> you know, like your phone or maybe your iPad that you can pick up, download for free. Actually, you might pick up one of these. What the hell is that? One down at the bottom. Second to last one. Looks like your classic chain and ball from the Middle Ages. I oh, mean, yeah, like a like a big old mace head. <laughs> That's the best they can do. I guess there's nothing special here. What about those? They look like blood cells on sticks poking out of the globe. Don't they? very intimidating, I can tell you that. <laughs> then one is from, like, Horton Here's a Who. It's like three little fluffy balls on sticks on around globes. And then the uh, stick ball one looks like something you play with in the shower, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like this one right in the middle by Brian Brandenburg, which kind of looks like a kid's toy where you, like, plug in plastic things into a grid. <laughs> It, no, it looks like a night light. Night light making th- or night bright or something. You had to plug the little blue plastic things in, and but they're, they're all glowing. globes, right? That's the interesting. Did we even say what we're like, describing? Um, I'm assuming this is the deadly AIDS virus. This is 27 different pictures of what the HIV virus is supposed to look like because nobody knows. None of them is a photograph. Every single one is a computer-generated rendering by an artist. And they don't seem to have one idea of what this thing is really. Well, that's, this is exactly what I thought it would look like, though, without ever seeing these pictures. So I guess when I think HIV virus, this is kind of what I think about. It looks like pinpoints. The second one, somebody like went pin crazy on a map of the globe, and they're going to attack all those points right there. Oh, yeah. It kind of looks like mushroom clouds exploding all over a planet. <laughs> so if we could just figure out what part of the globe they're showing, we might be able to... <laughs> It's a code. <laughs> I noticed that with another Ebola did the same thing. I think. Oh yeah, and didn't Ebola have like a little Mickey Mouse ears? 
Virus yes, too. and I think the word sex embedded into that. Yeah, I can show you some sex messages right now. I have to take a picture of my blanket and show you how it says sex. <laughs> I mean, you know, I feel like that, a three-letter word, like, come on. Like, I could fucking, like, maybe a, like, seven-letter word, but a three-letter word, I feel like I could. You could find that. Yeah, you can find that. That's true. See, so I go back and forth. Fair but point. I don't know. I'm, I don't trust Disney, though, and, you know, no, why are they using Disney ears anyway? Oh, yeah. As the Ebola virus, they all look like Disney ears. It was really weird. Disney owns everything, though. So I mean, but God, I'm I think not. Disney is also very involved in NASA stuff. I mean, they they seem oh, to be signing, you know, that kind of thing too. All the animations and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think they're like that military Hollywood that's military only in the valley. You know, I'm sure they have like Disney NASA or like NASA for kids, and I mean, because it's really like a childish. I mean, you know, this has nothing to do with AIDS, but kind of in a way that it's completely fantastical. Um, NASA is like for children, basically. I mean, it's a fantasy. It's like imagination, like use your imagination, and mostly kids. Yeah. There's nobody that's like trained to be an astronaut that's like our age. You know? Ask them what they're so. most excited about. It'll be astronaut or I want to be a dinosaur. So. <laughs> yeah, I want to be a dinosaur. Another thing that I, that I might say is that since we're talking about this for a second, I want to say that um, I realized now looking back into my childhood and stuff like that and, and thinking about all the things that I was so fascinated by all the topics that I would spend time researching. I mean, I was so into World War II and the nuke bomb and Holocaust. I was so into Columbine. Not not like into it in a in a I was I was so interested in it. It was yep. such a, a it was such a phenomenon or just it seemed so fantastical to me that mm-hmm. you know, I spent time looking into it and you know what I mean, trying to understand it. Yeah, and, you know space and all these things, and I realize now that all those things that I was so interested in, and so uh, like my mind was just taken by it, I couldn't understand it. They're just a bunch of bullshit. It's so fucking funny. JFK, all that stuff that I was so fascinated by as a child, the incidents that happened in this world that took me over even before knowing about anything. Uh, I didn't understand anything about it. I was just so interested in it. They all turned out to be. There's more behind the story, basically. You know, you know, I think that's also something that unites us, people who question things to the point that they realize there's only proof for a, a limited number of things that, that they say there's proof of. Because in a way, it's our attention and our interest in real life which distinguishes us from... A, a lot of people. A lot of people, you know, it's just enough to hear, okay, the Titanic sunk and whatever, you know. They don't, it, but we are so curious and so interested and we get focused and we're like, wait a minute, yeah. but how many people and where do they go? And when the answers stop, uh. we, we we run dry and we're like, oh, wait, this isn't a complete story, you know. Oh, <laughs> and, but, they're not complete stories, huh? Or? But other people, they're just like, oh, you know, I just fill in the blanks, you know, it, it's probably fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Yeah, the Titanic, that was another one, you know, that was another one where, I mean, I've spent so much time, like, when I say looking into it, I mean watching all the official, you know what I mean? I didn't have any, like, doubts about just watching the official stories, really trying to understand, trying to find any material I can on these topics, and Titanic was one of them, and the Holocaust, you know, I was just completely just so into it. And um, yeah, I think that now that you say, yeah, they're just not complete stories. If they try and complete them, I see now through the Hollywood process. And so, and then, you know, you're not going to get everything. If you're interested in that, though, they have a movie for you. 
and I believe that they might be coming out with another movie. That's it. You know? You're right. That's it. When you try to look close enough to actually get out real details, the Hollywood process that that's ex- it's like exactly like you said, the Hollywood process starts. Are you are you headed to Mars, Kay? Could be. There's a train. I turned it down for a little bit. I thought it had mostly gone past. Just tell me oh, if this okay. helps. It helps. All right. This was posted um, by Lux, October 13, 2012. Oh, a quick search brought this to my attention. There's a Dr. Ilani Papadopoulos, who is a biophysicist and a leader of a group of HIV scientists from Perth in Western Australia. Over the past decade or more, oh, a decade and more, she and her colleagues have published many scientific papers questioning the AIDS hypothesis. So in 97, she said, the doctor said, Elani, there is no proof that HIV causes AIDS. The question is, why not? Elani responds, for many reasons, but most importantly, because there's no proof that HIV exists. Dang. Dang. Oh, right. Let's go back to step one, basically. (laughs) That makes sense. Remember when, um, was it Magic Johnson got, was like, oh, he's going to die, and then he just didn't. And he's like, oh, I'm fine. Well, you know, and so I actually, there's a little five minute or so thing, excerpt, maybe 10 minutes about Matthew Johnson and his involvement and, you know, how he's promoting these drugs and stuff like that. And uh, it's a total campaign and it's disgusting. I mean, just the fact that they use it as people of certain backgrounds and stuff like that to promote this campaign and to stay in line with the, um, with the agenda is, I don't know, it's pretty offensive to me. What do you mean by certain backgrounds? You mean because he's black and he's telling black people to basically take this horrible drug? Definitely. That's one of the reasons. But he's such a huge promoter of it. And there's certain reasons why certain things are done. And it's just and it's purely to promote the agenda of, you know, the story behind everything. Yeah, that's sick. Uh, To me, it's offensive in other ways. And, you know, at the same time, I understand it's part of the story and it's part of the agenda. But of course they would. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. They're prepared to exploit children. They're prepared to, you know, exploit any kind of um, sympathetic feeling. It's just awful. On October 13th, 2012, Nona Capito says, In fact, this collection of 11,000 stories shows that the scare has been moved to Africa not to use the local deaths, but just to make them up. Probably because of the local corruption and lack of infrastructure there makes it much easier. So he's saying moving it to Africa not only is a psyop against Africa, but it hides it from most people who have no fucking clue what's going on in Africa anyway. So it it just, like, makes the power of the lie super strong. I don't know if that's true, but it's an interesting idea. I think that having it in Africa, like, the whole epidemic part of it is a... Um is a great way to to you pretty much isolate that entire continent basically in so many ways psychologically too but i think that it's a great way it, it i feel like the whole aids epidemic is essentially a cover-up for just other things that are happening in africa and they use all this and they make money off of it of course and they do all they basically go out of their way like a huge charade to not attend to very easily fixable problems mm. Mm. And I mean, by that, I mean, like, like I was saying, like, you know, malnutrition and stuff like that. And uh, the way that um, the people live out there producing more antibodies or whatever reason it is that you test positive has nothing to do with an actual um, disease rather than just the nature of the way that you're living. Instead of giving it to certain things like sanitation and things that can be easily fixed almost overnight, you know, 
now that this huge, you know, there's this huge campaign to drug these people and... Doesn't it feel inherently racist, though? To me, it seems like this is... And I don't mean to get excited, but it seems like specifically to demonize this other, like outside Anglo so-called Western civilization. The idea is, well, those people live primitively and live horribly. And by diagnosing them constantly, you know, then they have, then like white civilization can come in and say they're fixing it or saving it, but they're basically just like using it as an excuse for more colonialization and um, like invasion and things like that. Look, nobody could be more racist than me. And so... The way I have to say it is, I really think that, yeah, I think that they are, I think that there's a concerted effort to really hold down, I mean, if we're going to go here, like the way that I feel, there is a concerted effort to hold down certain people of certain races in different ways, I think, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I think that you have to, I guess, attack people in certain ways, definitely, but it seems like there's a tremendous effort to psychologically dismantle black people all around the world from different cultures, and I think that there's probably a reason for that, and it's probably because it's probably a potential threat. I don't take it, like, as offensively as other people may take it, I guess. I see it as like, oh, well, I'm a substantial threat, and so that's why... That needs to be like completely like taken care of like constantly like it's a constant effort. Nice know? positive spin. <laughs> That's how I feel. Oh yeah, genocide is just because I'm so freaking strong. Awesome, love it. <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying that. Uh, well, maybe you know, maybe Africans you know have something to offer that um, needs to be held down or destroyed. You know, they really try and cut us off from all different kinds of cultures, so we may never, we'll never know. You know. Mm. really not I mean every culture has something to offer you know what I mean yeah every culture has something to offer and something that the powers that be would want to suppress to create their version of the world that we live in so yeah they're, you know Africa is suppressed in certain ways in so many ways and you know there's a reason for it that's all I gotta say yeah huh I'll be darned you don't you don't happen to have a kind of sympathy do you you think maybe they're they're benevolent rulers in some way that they've like they've got it all sorted out and uh no i think everybody has their own agendas for whatever they do and so i mean to think that somebody is acting out of i think it's almost fantastical to think somebody acts out of the greater good of everyone that's a jesus story basically Mm -hmm. that he makes the decisions based on the greater good of everyone it's like so rare because really, I mean, even when people have the ability to do the better for people, ultimately it's going to come down to what's best for them. So whether they, whatever reason they have for it, it's, everybody has their own agendas. That's true. That's true on some level. I also happen to think that people who are privileged and can actually appreciate that should uh, understand that they're in a position to not only thrive in their basic needs, but also help others out um i mean that's my motivation for for making this podcast and things like that it's not that i have some delusion that we're going to uh fix all the world's problems but i think it's not unrealistic to think that people in positions of power also should be held to a kind of sense of responsibility if they're lacking it and be removed from power if they don't have that can't argue is that naive is that naive it's my it's my wildest dream man (laughs) <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? With- as far as having someone rep- being a representative over you, um, mm, I, I, mean, 
I get that. It, you're almost taking, I mean, a thorough approach, which is like, if someone comes to me saying they want to help me, I just want to run far away from them because what is their idea of helping me? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You know, it's, I, I think that, you know, when it goes to the extreme case, you know, uh, it's, it's the, it's the rare person that's going to, you know, do what's best for you only. And like it's always there's always some compromise there's always something you know like unless you know the whole story mm. I mean it's there's always something set up for them basically and I mean not that there shouldn't be but I'm saying again it just comes down to people mostly operate out of their best interest out of what's best for them you know yeah, I agree I agree I think for some people it's hard for us it's hard for us to comprehend the full range of people that there are in this world and how many crazy fundamental differences there are okay. I think, and there's some people who are genuinely like in order for them to function well they need to do things for other people and you oh. can look at that as psychophantic or whatever and then there's other people who in order for them to function well they have to feel like they're getting the most out of every situation personally even if everyone is ultimately getting the most out of every situation personally they have to really feel it and push others down in order to like help you know others be aware that they are in charge and there's like this range and there's um and each each other side can't seem to comprehend that the other extreme even exists but are they i mean you're saying that they are and i believe well yeah i'm thinking that there are some people i mean in in certain situations at least we can see it typically like parenthood you know parents would like cut their own throats to like save their kids for the masses though yeah but for the masses you know you have to it's how big is your family how big is your family and if your family is the size of life then that's one way of looking at it if your family is the size of you and your dog and you know your best friend that's a different size of family. It doesn't mean one is better than the other. It's kind of like, it, it, I'm basically saying everyone's the same. Rich people and us? Is that who yeah. are, yeah. I think they're the same as us. I Get, think they just have a different conception of similar ideas that are in human um, ranges of thought. Well, I mean... I was just going to say, but how do you not when you think in such large terms... You know, when we think, we think in terms of individuals. But if you do plan society, you you do think in, like my city. I was involved in a lot of city stuff. And, you know, they're they're planning for the town. They're thinking of, you know, thousands of individuals they have to plan for. And you do get dehumanized in the process, but you don't even mean to. Even, right. even you when you're doing... You dehumanize yourself. You're yeah. just like, I am just one number in this population. and Right. I'm not, I'm not excusing it. No, I shouldn't ever be excused. But apparently we don't have a system to check when it's happening. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> because it's like, it's like a dysfunction of everyone. So, um, yeah, so how can you check it? We, do we want to make, do we want to program artificial intelligence overlords for ourselves? I don't think so. So. All right. The system we have, though, right now works pretty darn good for them. Set up just exactly how they want it. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it is. It is odd, you know. But then they still require safe cities. You know, they wouldn't have those if they didn't need them. You know what I'm talking about? Where all the ex-military and intelligence people can like live together in a place they know that is overlooked and protected, and they don't have to deal with. You know, it's vetted. It's like a vetted, gated community. They have those. So, yeah. well, I do know. Wow, did not know that existed even. Look up safe cities. It's interesting. <laughs> 
Anyway, sorry, back on topic. So, Mr. Sinclair writes, um, October 14th, he says, I lived in San Francisco when the so-called AIDS epidemic began. People were dying as I knew about a dozen personally whose deaths were attributed to AIDS. I knew secondhand of more deaths and saw many tragically sick people wasting away, mostly in the Castro district. That's the gay section of San Francisco. Something was taking a toll on gay people there. I also knew straight people who used needles and died, again lumped in as AIDS. Most of the people I knew who died using amyl nitrates and led extremely promiscuous lives, which coincides with Duisberg's theories. He certainly seems closer to the truth than Dr. Gallo and ACT UP, both of which have profited mightily from the AIDS epidemic. So I think he's talking about the Dr. Duisberg theory that it didn't exactly target gay people. It wasn't manufactured to destroy gay people. It was attributed to deaths that were coming from promiscuous lifestyles where anal sex was weakening immune systems and the added use of poppers and drugs also weakened immune systems and sharing of needles and things. So that's part of the idea that HIV, like Rochelle says, is a way to tack it onto something that's already happening and then label it make people afraid of it, and like I said, have pharmaceutical companies swoop in. And Have any of you witnessed someone dying of AIDS, or like supposedly of AIDS, or something like that? I have. Um, no, I asked somebody if they knew anybody that died of AIDS. He's like, my uncle died of AIDS. So I was like, oh yeah? He's like, yeah, he did. I mean, well, he did do lots of drugs, too. He did do <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Yeah, he's like, so yeah, we don't really know. <laughs> but you know what I mean? That's the closest I've gotten. Just talking to people. My hairdresser in New York died of AIDS. I didn't know until he was dead because he'd, he'd show up, he'd do his thing, and then he kind of lost a little bit of weight, but then he was fine, and next I knew he was dead. Did he, was he on um, AZT, is it? Mm, I don't drug? know. That's all I know is he was there one minute and he was gone, and it could have been anything, right? Probably, though, this dude, he was middle-class educated. He probably died from the the pill. He would do whatever doctors told him, so. Mm. I knew, actually, now that I think about it, um, there was this kid that I knew in third grade, his, and he became gay or whatever. And so when I was, like, 18, he uh, had a boyfriend who he said had AIDS. And I met him, like, once. Um, but they did drugs and stuff, so. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Again, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's this drug thing. What about you, Hoy? Do you know anyone that ever had AIDS? Um, to my recollection, I only have two stories. One of them happened just last week. I got on the light rail. It was quite an experience. I was told that they're basically mobile bathrooms. This was <laughs> this was surprising to me. Basically, I got on the car, and the first thing that happened was a homeless man who just reeked of alcohol had just finished having a, a a fight with a guy who had like smashed the water cup up in his face and when the security guard came on kind of all cynical and depressed and was i think i have to ask you to leave he was all like i have aids back off look and he thrust his arm at the security guard and the security guard like looked at his bare arm which was not bleeding and didn't have any kind of AIDS anything on it and he just picked up his walkie-talkie and walked away immediately and was like oh we have someone with AIDS here and so when they got him off they taped off that whole area even though the only thing wrong with it was a bunch of ice was on the floor (laughs) so that was one experience that kind of made me say whoa yeah AIDS is definitely a psychological thing but do you see what that is they they they're trained to respond in that way that's in someone's manual a blood-borne pathogen disease it's 
it's classified. It's a blood-borne pathogen. I mean, it's like crazy, right? And the funny thing is, too, anyone could just be like, I am diagnosed. I have AIDS. And this guy, who I presume, based on his appearance and his mental health and everything, he looked like someone who possibly was homeless. I had the sense that he had been trained himself to use that and people backed away from him immediately and I'm sure he sees that effect and he was able to like clear a path for himself because he just basically said I got AIDS and everyone was just like whoa oh my um, god I'm gonna do that right in the middle of a TSA pat down I'll wait till they get their grubby hands all over me <laughs> <laughs> then I'll declare I got AIDS <laughs> I always thought, that, thought of that as a good way to get out of a rape <laughs> okay there you go oh and your second story And the second story was, well, when I was in grade school, um, there was a girl, and I remember it it wasn't this, it wasn't like all the teachers standing on stage and presenting her, you know, to the auditorium and being like, here is our, you know, holy sanctified HIV girl. But it was almost that feeling, like, we need to really respect this, give her special attention because she needs it, you know, she needs extra love, all this. And I remember her just kind of being actually being really mean and kind of bitter and like, yeah, you do need to like extra respect me because I got HIV. And that's pretty much it. I mean, that's all I remember. So at the time, so what someone who is cynical would say, well, then if she didn't have AIDS, Hoy, what did she have? Um, I don't know, because then she transferred, and I, I remember even asking, I think, about her, and saying, did she die? Where did she go? And people were like, oh, no, she just moved or something, and <laughs> that was it, so. Right. Probably every one of those silly AIDS tests gives gave a false reading. Every one of them. That's I'm, what I'm convinced of right now, is that they were testing something, maybe like a protein or something that every human has or if you've ever had the flu you might have this thing but have you ever heard about the test itself are we gonna is there a place on here well here's the thing that i've heard most recently is that um what is it didn't they say herpes can become cancer or hiv and so they're trying to lump it in with some real things like herpes let me look that up Zika could be related to AIDS, though. I mean, you know, the uh, trend of BS just goes on and on. They would, they'll always hook it back up to one of their other fears that we have programmed into us. Who is this Doisberg that he's talking about? Well, here's an interesting paper someone wrote. Does HIV cause AIDS? It's this, I just Googled um, Doisberg. An updated mm. response to Doisberg's theories. Oh, so it's probably a... A counter-argument, right. So, but Deuce, it says in here, Deusberg recently published that HIV and AIDS may well be correlated, but stated that HIV is not the cause of AIDS. Deusberg bases his hypothesis on the fact that HIV fulfills neither Koch's classic postulates nor serve more of his own postulates for viral pathogens. Following the summary of individual pathogenic mechanisms of HIV infection, the separate points of Doisberg's hypothesis are discussed in detail. It is made very clear that the magnitude of epidemiologic, clinical, and experimental observations and results argue for a causal role of HIV and AIDS. So, once again, it seems like very speculation. It's almost like this whole thing comes down to, again, the invention of disease and the whole diagnosing people and, and, and our whole Western idea of health. They, what they're trying to find out is the slow but irreversible failure of the immune defense. That's, 
that's really what is AIDS in a nutshell, what they're saying here. That's it. Yeah. How do you feel about the concept of eating well? Do you think that prevents most diseases or is that just like a health nut kind of belief system? You know, obviously, you know, there's different opinions on what eating well is, but uh, obviously there's no doubt about it that what you eat, I mean, you can see that what you eat directly dictates how you're feeling. No doubt about that. I mean, I think that that's what fast food is all about. And, you know, there's something about it, you know, that we probably don't even understand. Do you eat fast food? Personal question. I can't do it, actually. I mean, you know, for years, I used to eat just about anything. And I just just realized, like, I just can't eat food and just get sick anymore. Like, I can't get sick, you know. So, um, no, I I can't eat fast food. And um, I kind of go to the extreme just to not do that. But, I mean, also, you know, that's what what money is all about, too, you know. I, I mean, maybe I'm put into a financial situation where I have to eat fast food or something. Or that's the most logical. To do, or you know, maybe not. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying I can see why it, um, why people will be pushed to do that, you know. But unfortunately, even when people get to the point where they don't have to do that, they still do that because it becomes a, an addiction and an easy way out. And um, you know, the cheap thing is what gets people going. But I think that there's there's something that's definitely not good about it. Yeah. But what if what if there was nothing wrong with it? That's true. That's also another interesting theory. Is that it's like almost just it's more like a lurking variable in like an unhealthy lifestyle. Um, but uh, ultimately, though, it just makes me sick, though, and so that's why I can't eat it. And I was eating a burger one day. Like, you're just like, this isn't food. Like, I just can't even. Like, you just this is not food, dude. Like, you can't eat that and then not be hu- like if you eat something and then you're hungry like ten minutes later. Like that wasn't food. There's a lot of stories of people um, discussing who they know who died of AIDS. Okay, here's, I think, here's where we could pick up on our question earlier about, uh, on Duisburg. It's, it's the last post on page three by, I can't pronounce his name, Giges? Giges? Yeah, let's just start by that. Okay. That's good. On November 5th, 2012, he says, hi, everyone. First, thanks a lot for this thread because it is surely a subject of great importance to all of us. To begin with, one thing struck me while reading the previous pages. Dr. Gallo is here considered, and in the whole world I guess, as a central figure of the AIDS issue. However, the name of Gallo is absolutely unknown in France, where most of the people are convinced that Mr. Montaigne is the important one, since he is the one who, quote, discovered the VIH virus. I would even say that most of the people believe a story much like this. Quote, At the beginning, an inexplicable disease was discovered. Later, Dr. Montagnier discovered a virus called HIV that turned out to be the cause of the disease called AIDS. He received the Nobel Prize for it. Since then, we haven't found any vaccine, so people can't be cured, unquote. I would say that is the opinion of at least 95% of the French. Nothing more. However... Mr. Montagnier himself, in 2009, made some astonishing statements in the House of Numbers documentary that had, however, almost no audience in the main medias, but which circulated on alternative sites. Here are some extracts from the interview. Brent lying. I I don't know if that's meant to um, rhyme with lying, but I just looked like that. You talked about oxidative stress earlier. Is treating oxidative oxidative stress stress one of the best ways to deal with the African AIDS epidemic? I think this is one way to approach, uh, to decrease the 
the, the rate of transmission because I believe HIV, we can be exposed to HIV many times without being chronically infected. Our immune system could get rid of virus within a few weeks if you have a good immune system. And this is a problem also Africa, of African people. Their, their nutrition is not very equilibrated. They are in oxidative stress, even they are not infected with HIV. So their immune system doesn't work well already. So it's prone, they can, you know, uh, allow HIV to get in and uh, persist. So there are many ways which are not the vaccine, the, the magic name, the vaccine. Many ways to decrease the transmission just by simple measures of nutrition, uh, giving antioxidants, proper antioxidants, uh, hygiene measures, you know, uh, fighting the other infections. So they are not spectacular, but they could, you know, decrease very well the epidemic. To the lower, to the level they are in, in uh, occidental countries, so Western countries. If you have a good immune system, then your body can naturally get rid of HIV. Yes. Oh, interesting. Do you think we should have more of a push for antioxidants and, and things of that nature in Africa than antiretrovirals? We should push for more, uh, you know, a combination of measures, antioxidant by nutrition, advice and nutrition. Um, fighting other, uh, other infections, malaria, tuberculosis, parasitosis, most children have worms. Um, <clears throat> uh, education, of course, uh, genital hygiene for women and men also. Very simple measure, which is not, well, not very expensive, but which could do a lot. And this is my... Uh, Actually, my uh, worry about, uh, you know, the many spectacular actions, of course, there are global funds so to buy it, uh, drugs and so on, uh, Bill Gates and so on, for the vaccine. But, uh, you know, those uh, kind of uh, measures are not very well funded, they're not funded at all. Or they are, you know, it really depends on the local government to take conscious of this, but local government, they take advice of the scientific advisor from the institutions and they don't get this kind of advice very often. There's no money in, in nutrition, right? There's no profit. There's no profit, yes. The water is important. Water is key. Now, one thing you said, you were talking about the fact that if you have a built immune system, it is possible to get rid of HIV naturally. If, if you take a poor African who's been infected and you build up their immune system, is it possible for them to also naturally get rid of it? I would think so. Okay, that's an important. That's an important. It's point. important knowledge which is uh, completely neglected. You know, people always think of uh, drugs and vaccine. So this is a message which may be different from the from the what you heard before. No. The closing. No, no. The but yes, my message is different from what uh, you heard from Fauci or. Uh, yes, yeah. it's a little different. It's different. The clues forum member continues onward. Uh, remember, Dr. Mantegna received the Nobel Prize for his so-called discovery of the so-called HIV virus. This might explain why he remains very prudent and never states that, in fact, he never isolated or discovered or identified any real virus. He just explains to us that it is possible to get rid of it naturally. So no vaccine is needed, just a good immune system. Of course, most of the people who heard of these few statements found them totally incomprehensible, how could people get rid of such a dangerous virus with good food, clean water, and good hygiene? It just did not make sense. And it was said that Montagnier might have been a little insane. Anyway, 
almost nobody here heard about this interview. So how can we understand these statements? I think Dr. Etienne de Harvin can give us a good explanation, and then he has an interview posted. I think he can be considered as a very serious and competent scientist. Moreover, he's a retired person and seems to be a very independent man. I found a short lecture he made in English. His accent is terribly French. Laughter face. Uh, here's the link. A short summary of his conclusions. Quote, nobody has ever succeeded in purifying HIV. All markers being nonspecific, it was no big surprise to learn that tests for the so-called seropositivity being based on the very same markers were not specific either. What's a the- seropositivity? Not pretending I know that word. I'm just, I got a... Serum positivity. So a positive reaction in a blood test. Mm, there you go. The ELISA test being nonspecific, it was no surprise to learn that many medical conditions without any connection with HIV often give HIV plus responses, quote unquote. For patients with a positive reaction to this test, a Western blot test is usually required for quote unquote confirmation. However... The Western blood test using the same antigens as ELISA, a better specificity was hardly to be expected. In other words, it's too related to really be any kind of um, objective, like triangulation on this on this so-called virus. Many HIV pictures taken with the electron microscope are found in magazines, newspapers, and scientific literature. All these pictures originated from complex laboratory cell cultures. They never originated directly from one single AIDS patient. So, in other words, they're getting these pictures after, like, very specific uh, manipulation in a lab? Is That seems to be the implication. But what's strange is that all the pictures that we've seen all look like uh, computer-generated images. I don't know if I've ever seen a so-called electron microscopic HIV picture. Don't electron microscope pictures look like CGI images? Um, yes and no. I mean, I've seen some electron microscope photographs, and they're not exactly photographs, first of all, but they have a particular look to them. And those computer-generated cartoons, uh, I mean, maybe one or two look like they could have started <laughs> as as an electron, um, electron microscope. Right, image, they, but... they can't see color, by the way. Right, the... exactly. That's true. So when yeah. they add all this Technicolor cartoon stuff. Yeah, cartoon. It's just a cartoon, people. <laughs> uh, here's the last one, which is kind of interesting for people thinking AIDS is like something to be scared of as far as like, you know, your sexual partners. Moreover, the hypothetical heterosexual transmission of AIDS had been predicted as the likely cause of a dramatic AIDS epidemic in North America as well as in Europe. All these catastrophic predictions have, with the passage of time, been proven wrong. Gordon Stewart from the University of Glasgow initially analyzed epidemiological data and demonstrated that an actual AIDS epidemic has never been observed. Virtual epidemics have, however, been reported. Maybe that's what those 11,000 numbers are about. (laughs) So he concludes, to my mind, there is no more doubt that HIV is the cause of AIDS is a pure hypothesis and that HIV may be a complete myth in itself. Of course, it appears clearly that AIDS was, for a large part, a question of money and cynical greed. However, I think it has much more implications, and in particular that it is is as well uh, an issue of population control through fear. It, it, who 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 ripped, who wrote that? Um, some okay. user named Gygis. Uh, they they appear to be a French user. 
Oh, okay. Don't hear from him much, do we? I don't no. think so. No, I mean, he contributed to AIDS very heavily, which was good. How long ago were these posts made? I'm looking here. It's like... Four years about. <laughs> anybody anybody who's out there like that, I, I feel like they definitely... God, there's just a reason for them telling us all this, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so hard to get through all this mentally. Well, um, I, I just want to read this one last post by Geiges or whatever, and then I'm pretty much done with this thread, if you guys are okay with that. Okay. Is okay. this page four? Yeah, this is the start of page four. There is this strange feeling, like kind of like, why didn't I hear about this before? And who is this person? Where do they come from? I have that same feeling when I'm reading these things. But I don't know if that's just my own ignorance or or if I'm like rightfully suspicious of this. In any case, um, he goes on. I found an interesting article, The Hidden Agenda Behind HIV by Brian J. Ellison. I know Brian Ellison was associated with Duisburg since they wrote an article together, and that's on Duisburg.com. I heard Duisburg was quite controversial or maybe suspicious. Anyway, this article should really be known. Quotes about the induced fear plan. Here's the, here are the quotes that he puts on our clues form. But perhaps this is the point. A 1989 report by the National Research Council more explicitly revealed the hidden agenda. Originally sponsored by the Rockefeller and Russell Sage Foundations, and then funded by the Public Health Service, AIDS, sexual behavior, and intravenous drug use laid out a plan for social engineering on a massive scale using AIDS as the excuse. The devastating effect of an epidemic on a community can evoke strong political and social responses, the committee duly noted. An epidemic necessitates the rapid mobilization of the community to counter the spread of illness and death. Page 373. The power of such a method to force changes in cultural values is based on careful manipulation of fear. Ideally, health promotion messages should heighten an individual's perceptions of threat and his or her capacity to respond to that threat, thus modulating the level of fear. Turn it up, right? Turn up the juice on that fear. What is not yet known is how to introduce fear in the right way in a particular message intended for a particular audience. Acquiring that knowledge will require planned variations of AIDS education programs that are carefully executed and then carefully evaluated, stated the committee coolly. Pages 267 to 8. I think it can't be clearer, they comment. And they go on to quote more. As an officer of the Centers for Disease Control, Donald Francis had in 1984 drafted the CDC's proposed AIDS strategy and his 1992 retirement speech at the agency's Atlanta, Georgia headquarters. Francis voiced the ambitions held by many of his fellow officers in describing, quote, the opportunity that the HIV epidemic provides for public health, unquote. He stated in no uncertain terms the radical nature of the plan. The cloistered caution of the past needs to be discarded. The climate and culture must be open, ones where old ideas are challenged. Those who desire the status quo should seek employment elsewhere. The American HN Prevention Program should be the place where the best and the brightest come, where the action is, where history is being made. Ooh, creepy words. This is the epidemic of the century, and every qualified person should want to have a piece of the action. A sophisticated $2 billion per year operation, the CDC employs a staff of thousands who see themselves as having an activist mandate. They view epidemics as opportunities for control and for imposing lifestyle changes on the population. The CDC has actually engineered a number of false alarms or misdirected campaigns over the past four decades, neutralizing scientific dissent and calmer voices when necessary. 
AIDS, though not the first example, has now become the most successful epidemic by far. Two powerful weapons in the agency's arsenal, both unknown to the public at large, have made this possible. A semi-secret wing of the CDC known as the Epidemic Intelligence Service, the EIS, and a quiet partnership program with private organizations. He also draws up some other quotes, the EIS, we should research that too, about drug use and immunodeficiency. The original AIDS cases were all found in homosexual men in the fast-track lifestyle, those having hundreds or thousands of sexual contacts and using enormous amounts of hard drugs to make such promiscuous activity possible. For the CDC, the trick was to make the illness seem contagious. A simple drug-induced epidemic among homosexuals would hardly have frightened the public, nor have allowed the CDC to accomplish its radical public health agenda. Next was to explain the syndrome. To the CDC, this meant trying to find an infectious agent. This would be no simple task, since essentially all of the first 50 cases admitted to heavy use of poppers, a drug preferred by homosexuals as a means of facilitating anal intercourse. Even if this toxic drug presented itself as the obvious explanation, the CDC investigators had no intention of letting the evidence interfere. According to historian Elizabeth Etheridge, Quote, While many of the patients were routine users of amyl nitrates or poppers, no one in the KSOI task force believed the disease was a toxicological problem. Unquote. Note that Dr. E. de Harvin also confirmed in one of the interviews in French, the third one, that the use of poppers has certainly been at the root of the first immunodeficiency problems, especially in the homosexual community. He also underlined that these amyl nitrates seem to be very dangerous substances. And it concludes, most people do not yet realize that the entire campaign has been orchestrated mostly by a single agency of the federal government rather than being a spontaneous decision by independent experts and activists. As intended, the CDC has been able to mobilize the scientists, the medical institutions, political bodies, the news media, and a bewildering array of AIDS organizations behind its hidden agenda. All such groups will lose their credibility once the public discovers the real source of the campaign and honest skepticism will spread faster than AIDS itself. Um, he concludes, apparently honest skepticism hasn't spread very fast. <laughs> it hasn't gone. Yeah, it's like peanut butter. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> mm, you can only push it as far as it goes, and then uh, we're learning that at Clues Forum. You, you can push, you know, good information out, but you can't make a horse drink that stream, <laughs> I guess. Right. I like the part about, um, you know, how epidemics are just opportunities to control and impose the lifestyle changes on the population. I think that's um, probably key. I mean, if you could look at things like that, you know, I think that it would cause people to be a little bit more discerning on the opinions that they hold on certain things.
know, that's exactly why global warming and all these other ideas exist. It's just, just a means to uh, impose lifestyle changes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you saying that the planet isn't heating up and the oceans are going to not boil? I don't think the oceans are boiling. It's not certainly not over here in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. I mean, I definitely support boycotts and protests, but I feel kind of embarrassed for my friends who are like going to the climate uh, things sometimes. But man, that's just going to take all your energy out of... But you know what? I, maybe they're right and maybe they can demand change, you know, go them. But you're right. It's like, it's all connected. These these scares, these um, epidemics, anything that they can identify that the population at large is doing collectively instead of the people who are most responsible, which are the people with vast amounts of wealth and land and control of resources. Vast. Uncomprehensible, I think, maybe is a good word, too. Could we ever... sympathize with them could we ever consider making a decision on a daily basis that affects millions of people you can do it just being a mayor right just a mayor Mm -hmm. you're making those decisions already or that's right i guess run for politics yeah uh, you get what's the campaign what's the future hoy what are we supposed to do with politics if we can't trust them and if if they're lying to us. and I think the future is all about listening to Rochelle about her YouTube research. That is a, a great thing to do. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> but here's your chance, Rochelle. Could you please, maybe you don't want to articulate it or can't, but you found some very interesting things that people don't know about YouTube. And these days, instead of like through TV, it seems like more and more there's these kind of sponsored youtube personalities and it's kind of unclear that they're working for like mega corporations but they are yeah yeah i mean youtube is the new television and so i mean but i think that it has i mean because of our television you know even satellite may have seemed slightly overwhelming but even that didn't have a lot of content i mean when you when you think of youtube just that one channel as TV, and you think about the massive amount of content that they have the ability to put up there, the unlimited amount of content, the unlimited amount of channels and stuff like that, and then um, you think about you know the networks that can operate under that umbrella, um, it gets pretty big. And so, I mean, just one network can own thousands and thousands of channels on YouTube. And I mean, I think I, I certainly think that there's a degree of control that varies between the networks. And I think if there's a degree of help that they're going to give to certain channels depending on the type of audience that they can pull and the amount of audience that they can pull that probably dictates how much help they're getting but I think that there's definitely people who are they're, all their stuff's done in the studio I mean, and I really think it's Hollywood it's just Hollywood it's a new genre of television mm, mm, like mm. a reality TV and then there's YouTube you know it's just, it's something else it's, you know reality TV's not real and neither is YouTube it's yeah I get it else. Yeah. So I guess I'm I don't I don't have any convenient way of tying it to the AIDS topic, but I wanted to sneak that in there because you've awoken at least me to the concept that yeah, this person that has like three million, four million, five million views, uh first of all that, that number might not even be real. 
because yeah. they they've manip- we know that they manipulate numbers. We've seen that happening to our own videos. But second of all, that may be a promoted individual in order to or, reach yeah, just like the most amount of people that they're targeting with that individual. Well, I can certainly say that if they have multiple videos that have multiple millions of views, no doubt that they're. I mean, absolutely no doubt that there there's people who are going to be checking into them and they want you know they want a piece of that and so you know ultimately i think that ultimately the youtube they're like the end of the line they're the losers definitely people behind them who are making money in the, unless you know there's some of these people who have direct contacts with branding and stuff like that which i'm sure there are yeah the youtube thing's just such a vast topic and it gets so deep and it, it's it's so obvious i mean just look into all the pranking stuff like that you know everything's so staged and set up and it's so hollywood and it's you know there's nothing real about it you know Um, how can we how can we start to research it because here's an example of what happened there's this casey Neistat character who's kind of popular with younger people and i've watched some video and i instantly thought oh what this is creepy and i even thought it looked like digitally manipulated like very very touched up if not augmented reality and then i found out later that he actually had a 9-11 video and he's like i'm a 9-11 witness here's my 9-11 story and that is almost his big break or how he got started it's like he's a reality star basically yeah like he sold out right away and then they promoted him now he's he's a big he's a big nobody you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. but he's huge. I mean, because they'll because these these branding companies, these people will use anybody to get their little heels in, and you know to to pull money out of these people. So I think that yeah, you're like, who the hell? Why the hell is this person making all these videos and getting all this promotion and stuff like that? And they're kind of just like some DB from our perspective, anyway. Um, I think that it's because you know they'll essentially use anybody that they can, you know, with any kind of pull. But it also, I think that it could be deeper than that. I think that this has. This is kind of like an this experiment. Is kind of deal. This is the deal, you know. Like they, mm-hmm. like they, this is their platform. They're not allowed to be on the TV. They weren't allowed to break into the movies. But now this is the platform for all the uh, prospective right. DBs to get into, and then they can make their money. There's probably more work that goes into it for the YouTube operator than there is for like the studio and stuff like that. That it's just a shitty deal for everybody around. Ultimately, I think that the it's just a, it's a great form of manipulation for these studios it's so genius they duplicate all these stars and stuff like that put them in their own little different genres and stuff like that and then duplicate them and these people are just able to generate billions and billions of dollars from doing basically absolutely nothing just making the same videos titling the same way there's really very little work that goes involved um at when you look into the amount of money that they make so i see so they're kind of like they're they're being paid peanuts to star in this thing because it gives them like their celebrity and then meanwhile like all the ads and um attention that they get and there must be some kind of funding going on behind it too probably us too and uh, um definitely you know whatever companies all this branding and stuff i mean the clothes they wear the things that are sitting up behind them it's just like the ultimate it's the ultimate brand factory you know just the topics they talk about everything and then uh, they bring up certain memes and stuff like that it's just a great way to generate culture we're all on it, especially young people. And so that's why I think that 90% of YouTube is dedicated, like these, you know, people who put their faces in front of the camera, 90% mm. of that is dedicated to young people because, you know, I mean. Yeah. It's the new celebrity. It's the new thing that gets everyone it's the staring. New TV. Yeah, you're right. 
It's the so new it, reality and it, TV. And it's, more, and it's more personal. You know, we when we think of reality TV, we think of real world. A bunch of people walk around the house. Now it's just down to this one little person in their room dictating, you know. And they want us all to do that. And it, it, they've expounded on it with this Twitch and all this stuff. And it gets, it is very creepy. It's super creepy. And it's like, yeah, it, it hurts. And it's, you know, I can attest as a high school teacher how many kids are into these YouTube series in a big way, in such a way they've memorized, like, show after show. Why is it free? Why is, free? <laughs> free? Why is all this stuff free? It's free, I mean, I know right? they're moving. I mean, I know that they've made movies. They put these people, they're moving them off of YouTube into trying to move them onto what we'd see as bigger platforms. But ultimately, this is their main stage. But, you know, they move into movies and stuff like that. And they do have a YouTube red where they want people to start paying for content for their mega, super, super pampered mega stars, you know. The Fousey Tubes and the Pootie Pies, those people who make their movies and stuff like that. Um, the super pampered, super fake, super studio Hollywood types who aren't real at all, actually. This actually, this actually does bring it back to, to HIV, because how did HIV and AIDS get so huge and so promoted? What did they use? They used celebrities, again. It was like, let's promote certain people who have this, you know, to make it real for people. And it became uh, Keith Haring, the artist, and, you know, other minor folks and big people like Magic Johnson and Charlie Sheen. Charlie has contracted HIV and then does not actually have AIDS. This kind of thing. Charlie Sheen's story is pretty funny. I wonder if we should just play that. Let me see. Now more of our exclusive conversation with Charlie Sheen. In our last half hour, he shared a very personal announcement that he is HIV positive. He decided to speak out now in part because he says he didn't want to live in fear that someone else would divulge it. Charlie is back now along with his personal physician, Dr. Robert Heisenga, an assistant professor of clinical medicine, medicine excuse me, at UCLA. And we want to warn people that some of our conversation may contain adult subject matter. Before I get to you, Doctor, you made this announcement in our last half hour. Are you feeling relief? I'm, I'm more, more, more than, I, than I thought possible. You feel good about it? Very much so. Doctor, how long have you been working with Charlie? I've known Charlie probably five, six years. This is an educational moment. Uh, we are in 2015, and while no one wants a diagnosis of being HIV positive, people live long, normal, productive lives while they carry the, the virus. What is his exact medical condition? Now, we should mention, Charlie has given you permission to talk about this. Charlie has contracted the HIV virus. He was immediately put on treatment, strong antiviral drugs, which have suppressed the virus. Unfortunately, we don't have a cure yet. It's suppressed the virus to the point that he is absolutely healthy from that vantage. And my biggest concern with Charlie as a patient is substance abuse and depression from the disease more than what the HIV virus could do in terms of shortening his life because it's not going to. Let's take those things one at a time. So you're saying to me at the moment, Charlie has an undetectable level of the virus in his blood. That is absolutely correct. There have been some media outlets over the last couple of days speculating that Charlie has AIDS. Charlie does not have AIDS. AIDS is a condition when the HIV virus markedly suppresses the immune system and you're susceptible to rare difficult cancers and infections. Charlie has none of those. He is healthy. He does not have HIV. He does not have AIDS. Some very important information. Now, Charlie said in our last half hour that he, it is impossible for him to transmit this virus to someone else. I assume you meant through even unprotected sex? 
I meant through protected sex. Through protected sex. Yes. Is that accurate? Individuals who are optimally treated, who have undetectable viral loads, who responsibly use protection, have an incredibly low, it's incredibly rare to transmit the virus. We can't say that that's zero, but it's a very, very low number. Because in checking with the CDC, they say the virus can still hide in genital fluids and the level of virus can go up and down between testing. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. However, if someone's conscientious and we have done repeated labs every several months over the last four years, then the odds of variations in between drug tests and lab tests would have to also be expected to be very, very low. Charlie, are you taking the so-called triple cocktail? Is that what medication you're on? Every day. How many pills are you taking each day? Four. Are you worried? You talked about his drug abuse and alcohol. First, are you still doing drugs? No, I'm not. No. Are you still drinking? I'm still drinking a little bit, yeah. yeah. Are you worried that in an impaired state that Charlie will simply lapse on taking his medication? I mean, it impairs your judgment. Can he be trusted? And I'm talking with him right here. Sure. Can he be trusted to continue to take that medicine on a regular basis if he continues to drink it and perhaps right do word. drugs? We're petrified about Charlie. We're, we're so, so anxious that if he was overly depressed, if he was abusing substance, he would forget these pills. And that's been an incredible worry. And, and magically, somehow, in the midst of incredible personal mayhem, He's managed to continue to take these medications. Over the course of four years, as you, t- you have never missed I have not. taking no. your medication. I have not. No, never once. No. A lot of people no. then look and say, Charlie, you should stop drinking. You say you've stopped doing drugs. You need to stop drinking well, perhaps, as well. Perhaps the freedom of today might lead to that as well. Uh, doctor, I appreciate your information. Charlie, you're going to stick around. I'll we'll be do here. a little more of this right after okay, this break. Good. Thank you, Matt. Hello, Today fans. Thanks for checking out our YouTube channel. Subscribe by clicking that button down there. He's sitting with his doctor, so concerned, you know, on stage. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Mm-hmm. He's such a he's 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 doing a good actor. Yeah, he's being an actor. He's just his story is. Why do I when I think of Chris Jenner or Bruce Jenner or whatever, Chris, Caitlin, Kitty, Caddy, whatever? Why do I think of Charlie Sheen too? It's like they almost look like the the same voice. Um, I hope people don't think that it's really Bruce Jenner with the makeup on. It's clearly a um, CGI'd. You can't make a man's ribs that tiny to fit the clothes they put Caitlyn Jenner in. That's you can't do it. It's fake. Would they shove? Look, he's got no Adam's apple in these uh, shots. <laughs> it's all CGI. Yeah, who knows what they do? Yeah, they definitely. They're not just gonna throw him up there. That's for sure. Isn't he like almost seventy? Right, he's pretty old. He was in the Olympics how long ago? Let's see, when was Bruce Jenner? Would you mind, Hoy, if we take a little? No, go for it. Let's, well, let's take a stroll home. through Sayup Land. 68, I mean, he's pretty disgusting, I imagine. Wow, he's born in four, 1949. So he was here during the Revolutionary War. Yeah, he shouldn't look like that. Night. <laughs> he's 67. Come on. None of these are him. Come on. 67. None of the Caitlyn Jenner pictures that have any resemblance of beauty are, are, Kate, are Bruce Jenner. Come on. It's just like yeah. the Michael Jackson, too. It's so weird, all this stuff. You know, they've been kind of playing this theme out through different folks for years, it seems like. Mm. But the transgender thing is just total, total warp. Just, they're just trying to just 
completely jack people's minds up. It's so sad and insane. Same thing with veganism, too, I think, honestly. I feel like all this coming out at the same time is no coincidence, you know? Well, it's very confusing to young teenage boys and girls. We're having an epidemic of gayness in high school. Epidemic. It's like half the girls are gay. Every girl, yeah. It's so. No, I mean, it's like they think they are. Whether they act out on it or not, they're taking that identity. Really? Just just dressing or dressing like it and stuff? How does a a, um, young girl manifest their gayness at your school, Kay? Yeah. They hold hands when they walk down the hall with their gay person that they're gay with. And they make sure they kiss them so that everyone can see. They go, oh, you're gay. Like that. So they're not just horny friends. They're they're gay. So no more goth. Now you go gay. It's mostly, yeah. That's the, you're right. Goth is kind of winding down. Go. Now you go gay. Okay. Seems to be what a lot of young youth are doing. I, you know, in practical a sense, it's just a way to secure a best friend, really. Because it's not, it ends up being not sexual at all, except for, you know, this is my teddy bear to hug and kiss once in a while and that's it uh, I don't know I was listening over here and these two kids talk I think there's this whole art society's over sex I mean I and, was hearing these yeah. two kids talk about that too absolutely absolutely that's an issue too so astonishing and I can't I can I'm like my god <laughs> I, yeah I can't imagine having kids these days everybody it's just, it's so everywhere. I mean, YouTube, all, all these things that these kids have access to, and everything that's on, all the entertainment, is just, there's so much sex, so much prodding. It's, I can't even handle it. It's absolutely overwhelming. And so for people to be sitting and just basting in this, well, of course it's all they're thinking about. It, it. Is, it is interesting that AIDS does create the discussion that's kind of like this duality. Like, there's either great, free, promiscuous sex, which is, you know, this wonderful thing that everyone should be after, versus the wrong kind of it, which is evil and bad and causes horrible death. So it, it almost seems like another thing designed to divide people between the most conservative and the most liberal takes on things. It's like it's there to, like you say, just like rustle people up and create that division that they can manipulate. It's a demographics thing almost. They even said it in that article. We need to apply the AIDS training and then study how people react to it. It's right there. There it is. It's like <laughs> public relations, demographics. It's about experimenting on us, studying us, controlling us. That's right. At some level, absolutely. Yeah, th- at some level. At what makes this such a difficult topic, like all these topics, is that when we talk about controllers, there's so many levels of them. You know, so what level of control? I mean, your your doctor mm-hmm. didn't invent AIDS, and he's he doesn't think it's a hoax, but I bet there's doctors out there who are um, do, who think AIDS is not real. There's one I've been listening to, given his little... You know, he's not a communications guy, so it comes across awkward, but you see what he's trying to do. Of all his experience with medical school, he's trying to explain to the audience what it's like. And he goes through, like, health and this and this, but basically what he's... The basis of his videos are that it's like medical school mind controls you into thinking you don't need to worry about nutrition. Yeah, no, I I had a friend who was going through um, school to be a surgeon and he was getting to the point where he was like, you know what, I don't want to dissect this pig, but 
um, it, there's a lot of pressure. You feel like you're in like like a herd of cattle, and you have to like knock people out of your way to get to the head of the line and like get to the head of the trough and you know you do all these things you don't want to do to get there because it's so competitive and so uh crazy and then he was just like one day he just had it he's like i'm not doing it i'm not doing surgery like i mean he found his way some people that is their you know their passion and everything but um he realized that he had been pressured into something he didn't want to do and then he dial it back and was like okay i'm actually doing this other way and i'm also um i'm getting really skeptical of the way that they're constantly hammering us with pharmaceutical solutions and telling us that we need to recommend these because you're saving your patient's life by telling them about this drug because that's the best we have and things like that so yeah it's it's very much in their training i don't blame doctors at all those guys are some of the most psyoped people on the planet, those men and women. There's no reason. There is no reason to put doctors through this the kind of stress they have to do when they start they start doing their what do you call it, the rounds in the hospitals. There's a name for that. They they work 12, 14 hour shifts, 16, it gets crazy, sometimes 20 hour shifts. They're completely sleep deprived. There's no what are they going to go practice medicine in Vietnam? I mean, there's no, re- there's no reason to go through that training that I can see of that would help them as a doctor today. So I would say, thank God, doctor, you saved my life because you had all that sleep-deprived practice before you got your license. Having said that, I have met some truly, like, asshole-ish doctors who are just, they don't care. They're not in it for the right reasons. Yeah. But, but that's not most of them. Well, I mean, I guess my, my eye doctor, my, who did surgery on me, I mean, you know, he did a great job, I guess. Well, I can't really see my eye, but, you know, he was very convinced as to, you know, everything he had been told and everything. So, you know, and he was just a, a young guy, too. So what do I know? You know, I didn't go to school and do all the things he did. So when speaking to people that they may see as from other classes or whatever, they may hold on to their opinions a little harder, a little stronger. Because then they're encountering their own cultural border. And so they, like, feel defensive and shit. And they, they know better because, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not of them. videos out there yeah he's he's a very he's written something that's like oh so you think i'll get hiv fine in, inject me with what you think is hiv oh yeah. He, yeah he does things like that very controversial yeah he's yeah. like the james randy of hiv <laughs> james randy. who's james randy he's that magician who challenges people who believe in paranormal things to like prove it and he'll give them lots of money but he himself is actually shied away from things and he's kind of a gimmick artist himself so um. or his fame is because of other gimmick artists mm-hmm. really because he was like yuri 
what's his name, who used to bend spoons by rubbing his fingers <laughs> over the spoon. He's okay. like, if I concentrate hard enough, this spoon that will bend itself. You say, I'm doing nothing, but this spoon, it's bending. But it's, yeah. And the spoons are just made of this metal that reacted to heat quickly. It's, I mean, it's not a big deal, but... So Randy busted him and said that's what he was doing. But they had this relationship where they tried to one-up each other, and it was really public, but... Right, the stage drama, just like they do on YouTube. Yeah. Well, magicians are must be <laughs> all tied up in this society, mustn't they? That's part of their whole act and interest. Yeah, but, yeah. that's how you keep storylines going, I think, is you know, the ups and the downs and stuff. Yeah, the magicians are just performers. They it's are. Just- and yeah, Kay said at one time, just the best. It was just like, yeah, people lie. People lie. I mean, pretty much that could be our entire show. It could be two hours of Kay and I just talking to each other and being like, people lie. Oh, yeah, people lie. They do. Yeah, they lie. They lie to people's faces. They lie all the time. Some people (laughs) lie constantly. If we just had two hours of that, that'd pretty much be the same message that people don't seem to be able to process. They don't seem to be able to, like, get it into their heads. No, no, I can't believe that. People don't lie to me. Fundamentally, yeah, I think that you know it's money wars, kind of where it's like, oh, you know, uh, they can play the game bigger than I ever could on my own, you know, yes. as far as promoting and putting their voice out there and getting it out there, and so they're going to garner the majority of the population and the majority of the views and take up their time with the massive amount of content that they have the ability to put out. It'll take all their time; they won't even have time to look at anything else. It's a pretty easy battle, I guess. Yeah, the only they've got way the money. to win that is through the individual. They have to fight through that individually. There's really nothing that you or I could do. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the giant net that they just drop out in the middle of the ocean. So, mm-hmm. uh, fish got to swim around or bite through. Yeah, yeah, we're not launching net at, nets at people. I don't have a way of wrapping up this episode except um, we could say. Lead into yeah. the next, huh? Yeah, I mean, well, I think the next one is going to be Titanic. You're totally invited, Rochelle, to come to any and all episodes ever if we ever get our schedules working together. Don't wait for me, guys. With the Titanic, that's pretty funny. That's going to be awesome for y'all. I mean, man, the Titanic, I mean, (laughs) again, one of those topics that uh, I was so interested in. I used to love that movie. I hated it. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I... I, did, I just like the destruction scene. <laughs> yeah. The Titanic is such an interesting story, you know? It seems so... It's so personal with, I mean, you know, with all the people there. Just like, you know, they make... They can do say the story just like they say 9-11. They can tell the same story. Like, it's just a normal day. People were walking around. <laughs> um, they just got up in the morning. You know, and it's just like, oh, you feel so bad when they're having their cup of tea, their crimpet, and <laughs> then, you know, <laughs> so... Yeah, you know, no, you're right. It's the same thing. Like mind your minding your own business, and then disaster. Yeah. You're just minding your own business, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, you, you know, you just get just completely wiped out. Uh, yeah, that would in- definitely make people nervous, like subconsciously. It's like AIDS. Oh, I was in New York in the '80s. There's all these stories. You're gonna get poked on the subway with the AIDS needle. Don't go on the subway. <laughs> They're poking people with AIDS needles. Who starts these things? Is it children? Or is it adult children? It's on the news. The news gives you these scare stories. That, uh, someone today was poked with a needle. We're not sure if it was AIDS. And blah, blah, blah. The stories are for children. Sorry, Kay. No, they are. No, I was done. It's just they are for children, right? Because 
when I was in New Jersey, I was there for my husband's family. So all these Arabs are like, you know, oh, don't go on the subway. They're poking the AIDS needles. You know, they're, they're all concerned about it. Where does that come from? I don't know. Good question. That's crazy, though. We were scared. Find AIDS. out next month in episode 12. Right. Goodbye. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But that could be an ending. That could be. We could do that. Okay, well, Rochelle, it's been awesome. Um, very nice to get to know you better and to hear your thoughts on AIDS and other things. And uh, I hope you'll be back with us again. Okay, yeah. Sorry, I was waiting for the freaking ice cream man that comes uh, on time. <laughs> Every day right here, I don't understand what this fucking deal is. Can you guys hear that? Yeah. It's there wonderful. In my neighborhood that was totally a drug dealer. Yeah, so all right, he dude, played I'll Tetris buy music. <laughs> This is the last time I'm buying it. <laughs> then you knew the drug truck was coming. Great way to end this, um, just with the fade out ice cream music. <laughs> um, and with that, we'll fade into some music from Simon Shack again. All right. Have a good night, guys. Good night. Take good care. Night.